Welcome back for another episode of Reaching for Words, a podcast series from the team at SpanishObsessed.com. Throughout this series, we'll be bringing you language learning advice from leaders in the field, from multilingual polyglots, teachers, and technology experts, as well as sharing experiences and motivation with ordinary language learners. Today's episode is an interview with Shannon Kennedy from Eurolinguist.com. Shannon speaks eight languages, and what's interesting is the connection she draws between language learning and culture. You'll notice on her blog that there's a strong focus on cooking, music and travel, as well as language learning tips. We discuss her language learning story, and she gives us her main do's and don'ts for if you're starting out learning a new language. Let's get into the podcast. Today's guest is a language lover, a traveller and a musician. She blogs over at Eurolinguist.com. Am I saying that right? Yes. <laughs> Where she shares strategies about what is and what isn't working for her in her language learning. She speaks French, English, Mandarin Chinese, Croatian, Russian, Korean, Italian, Spanish and German. That's nine languages, which is amazing. So welcome Shannon Kennedy from Eurolinguist. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yes, yeah, great to have you on. Did I, did I miss any other languages you speak? Actually, um, German is no longer on my list. I decided to give that language up, and I'm instead studying Japanese and Korean. Okay. Oh, I didn't. I didn't mention Japanese. That's amazing. How, <laughs> how's your uh, level across all of those languages? Um, it depends. Uh, I go through phases where I really focus on certain ones to bring them up, and then that in doing so, I have to put some of the other languages to the side. Like lately, my focus has been on my Slavic languages and my Asian languages. So I've been studying a lot of Korean, a lot of Japanese, a lot of Russian, a lot of Croatian. And because that's been my focus, like my languages like Spanish and Italian, I haven't even looked at for probably more than a year now. So I would need some time to reactivate those. Right. They wouldn't be as strong. So each of my languages are they're at different levels. And it also depends on where my focus is at that time. Because, you know, a year ago, my Spanish was my level was pretty high. But now I would be a little bit uncomfortable using it just because of the time it's been since I've used it. Sure, sure. So it's your, your the languages you're not kind of frequently using or learning do tend to go a little bit rusty. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, what strikes me most about Eurolinguist is that it's not just about learning languages. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it also talks about the kind of interplay of travel, culture, music. I think you talk about cooking as well. Um, and it seems like that's the route that kind of got you into languages in the first place. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, um, definitely. So when I was at school at university, um, that was when I really started studying languages because it was a required part of the program to have a fluent reading ability. I was studying music, but my field in music was more, um, it, it was, it's called ethnomusicology, which is basically uh -huh. uh, musicology and anthropology combined. So I was really interested in the social aspects of music and language is one of those aspects. So I studied a lot about how language and music were interconnected. Right. Um, the communications around music, the languages that music is performed and recorded in and things like that. And it just kind of gave me this view into how complicated language is and all the different things that matter in sure. communicating. And so, you know, culture and food and all of these things, they all have 
an influence on a language as mm-hmm. a language has influence on them. And so that really fascinates me. And so I try to share some of that through my blog. So do, do you feel that kind of learning about, for example, cooking or the music actually gives you an insight into the language as well? I do. And I also think that it gives you more ties to it. Mm -hmm. So you will feel more connected and more motivated to go after it when you have these other things that you are passionate about that are connected to it. Sure. Well, it's interesting that you're saying around the the connection between music and language. I've often found that or thought that myself. I play the piano. I've, I've kind of never given it a thought really, but there's a lot of musicians who are linguists or polyglots, I should say, and then vice versa. So a lot of language speakers or polyglots who are also pretty good musicians as well. Is there, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you'd know about this, but is there kind of like a connection in the brain or why, why does that phenomenon seems to be, to be there at all? That's a really good question. And there might be some sort of connection in the way that the brain processes that leads to that. But I think really what it is more is when you're a musician, you have the discipline to sit down and work at something for a really long time, really focused. And so I think that that just carries over really well into languages. And I also think that when you study music, you know, you're exposed to a wide variety of languages and culture just through music. Like if, if, for example, if you study classical music, there's a good chance that you're learning to perform pieces that were written by Italian composers, German composers, French composers, English composers. Um, So you kind of, as you learn about the piece that you're performing, you're doing research about it. You're learning about these people. You're learning about these cultures. If it's a vocal piece, you know, Mm. there's lyrics in another language. And most music, all of the music notation is um, like all of the notes about tempo and style. Those are written in Italian not in English. (laughs) So I think that you just kind of naturally have this around as you're studying music. So I think maybe it's, it's just a logical step sideways step into the language realm. Uh, and you know, if you sing opera, for example, you know, you do end up studying those languages. Mm -hmm. If you're a musician, you, uh, depending on what you do, you may travel a lot. And so then knowing other languages is a good way to, connect more when you're out in these other places around the world performing so yeah interesting so the kind of combination of just dogged determination which it takes to master any instrument or any language really and then that kind of you know either learning instrument or learning um, a language involves stepping into that culture as well so that was kind of how you got into to language learning what was your what was your first language learning experience I'm guessing it was in school right Yeah, my first language learning experience um, was not actually in school. When I was growing up, um, I have um, extended family who's from Colombia. And so when my parents were working, the person who took care of us would always speak to us in Spanish. Um, And then she stopped when I was about maybe four or five. And so I kind of lost exposure to that language. But later when I was given the option to study languages in school, um, I started studying French. Uh And, um, it just, I picked it up fairly quickly and I really enjoyed, but I think it was because I enjoyed doing it, not because the classroom environment happened to be particularly effective. I ended up taking extra classes outside of school to kind of accelerate where I was in school. And, um, but then when I got to university, I stopped studying languages completely. Okay. So, and sorry, go on. Oh, it was when I did my master's that I really got back into it and realized it was something that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So do you do you kind of use languages in, in your profession now? Or is it 
really just a passion? Um, I say just a passion. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Both. I use languages in my personal life. Um, my husband is actually French, so I uh-huh. use French every single day okay. uh, to communicate with him and his family. We speak both French and English at home. Um, I also use it professionally, but I think that kind of came after. I think that when people started to realize that I had that I could speak other languages, that started to open up more opportunities for me mm-hmm. within music and within other things. Um, I, I have been able to take trips as a musician because I speak other languages. And right. you know, needing to know those languages provided me that opportunity that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And uh, so yeah, I would definitely say the answer to that question would be yes. Cool. Well, um, what I really wanted to ask you about today um, is really about advice for any beginners out there. So I think our audience would be more kind of Spanish beginners. Um, But, you know, we've all been beginners. And I think in many ways is one of the best and kind of most exciting periods of your language learning journey because everything's new. There's a huge amount to learn and you kind of you make quick progress. I guess it's also fair to say, you know, you've you started many languages. So you're pretty experienced at being a, a beginner, right? Yeah, <laughs> you could say. Sure. So, so what are some of the kind of for a beginner? What are some of the maybe do's and don'ts you'd recommend for a beginner language learner? Maybe I don't know three do's and three don'ts, or whatever okay. you come up with. I'll try to stick to the three and three. Uh, so, yeah. um, let's see. So, one don't would definitely be don't focus on grammar at the beginning. Okay. Um, it's one of the more intensive parts of learning a language and you can really easily get yourself buried in that and wanting to be right and wanting it to be perfect before you start speaking and doing all of these other things with languages that are far more rewarding. So my first don't would definitely be don't get bogged down by grammar. My personal approach to learning grammar is on an as needs basis. So if I come across a grammar thing and I'm stuck because of it, mm-hmm. I will sit down and focus on it and learn it and then move on. But I don't do that unless that happens. So if I can get by close enough, a lot of the times I will let that be acceptable until I get to a more intermediate level. And then I don't really have the excuse not to work on grammar yeah. anymore. But I just feel like grammar can be this thing that totally destroys any motivation and excitement you have for a language. I mean, there are people that totally love studying grammar, and I do, to some degree, enjoy it. But for most people, that's not the case. And it is something that you can easily bury yourself in rather than focusing on other things. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think there's probably, you know, when we talk about studying grammar, there's a few different ideas which which people will have about what that actually is. I guess most learners will think of, you know, picking up one of those big books with basically grammar reference and a bunch of exercises – and if that's the kind of the first book you're reaching for, right, when you're going to study a language, you're not going to make it too far. Exactly. Um, so I'll do a do now. Uh, do yeah. is focus on learning as much vocabulary as you can as soon as you can. Okay. Um, for me, I view vocabulary as kind of the building blocks for your language. So I think it's really important to learn a lot of words because you're going to be able to do more in a language. Even yep. if you don't know the grammar, you can still kind of stick words together and make sense. Yeah. And that gets you communicating and using and producing the language, which I think is really important. So um, I, like I find that if I ever really get stuck in a language, it's not because of some grammar thing or something mm-hmm. else. It's because I don't understand a word or I'm not right. able to come up with a word that I need right. to keep going. Definitely. So, so in those kind of beginning days, obviously there's, 
a huge amount of vocabulary. Kind of the the general can the general advice is you know study those or learn those words which are most frequent, which you're most likely to come across. But do you have kind of a particular approach? Where where do you source your vocabulary? Is it from textbooks or do you kind of switch on to a TV channel straight away and start taking notes? Where where does that initial vocabulary come from? Um, the initial vocabulary comes from. Uh, I use a process that I've adapted from Benny Lewis of Fluent in Three Months called scripting. Okay. So initially, in my first few days, I think, okay, what is it that I want to do with this language? And one of the first things that you always want to do in a language is introduce yourself. So say, hi, my name is Shannon. I'm from this place. I live here. Um, this is my job. This is how, like, this is my family. This is what I'm interested in. So I take all of those things and I write them in English first. Um, so I'll say, okay, figure out what I want to say first. Yeah. And then I start doing research into how to say those things. So there's a lot of great tools that you can do this. Um, for vocabulary, I really enjoy Drops. It's this okay. just beautifully designed vocabulary software. They have thousands and thousands of words. I also like Memorize um, because I can create my own lists. Yeah. And um, so I use those to study these words that I come up with as a part of this script. You're, you're kind of going out and basically deciding what you want to say and then figuring out how to say that. Exactly. Essentially. I, yeah, I, I tend, I mean, there are some really great course books out there, but um, I think for the ways that I use languages personally, following a course book that gets me ready for perhaps a trip in Spain where I'll be reserving a hotel room and booking mm. a train ticket is not necessarily what I need. No. Um, because I mean, honestly, totally honestly, when you go to Spain, for example, if you're going to go buy a train ticket and reserve a hotel room, those people that work in those environments probably speak English. So that's right. probably not the place where you need to learn Spanish. And, and you it's probably buy those go. online anyway, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I prefer to think about how I'm going to use the language, what I'm going to do with it, what are the sorts of things yeah. that I want to be able to talk about in those languages in particular. And then I will focus on those things. I'll build scripts in English and then figure out how to say those things. Okay. If I get stuck and I can't figure out something on my own, um, I if it's something fairly simple that I don't need to talk through or explain, I'll try to do the best that I can and then post it on italki. They have a journal feature where you can get corrections for free on your sentences. Okay. So then within a couple days, I'll have a couple of different corrections from native speakers that I can then take those phrases or those new words that I'm not familiar with, put them in my flashcards, work on them and practice them. Okay. And then um, I suppose what I do is kind of the idea of these language islands. There's a really fantastic mm -hmm. book. I can't remember who the author is at the moment. Bor but Boris Shek Shekman, something like yes. that. Yeah, I know what yes. you mean. Yeah. And um, basically he says, so you build these islands. Like if you're out in the middle of the ocean and you have nowhere to swim, which is or nowhere to swim to for safety, which is basically what it is when you dive in right. with the language, you want to construct these islands that you can swim to and they create this trend this chain that eventually gets you to, you know, fluency. Yeah. And so these islands are topic specific things, things that you kind of specialize in and are able to really discuss mm -hmm. in a language. So for me, that's kind of what I do. So um, I could tell you in Russian, for example, so I did my introduction, I got my introduction down, I got talking about my job down. And then I um, started to talk about food. I really love food, mm -hmm. as I'm sure you guessed. So <laughs> Learning how to just, um, explain how to make something in Russian, learning yeah. how to talk about Russian food, um, learning how to order in a Russian restaurant because um, 
I, you know, that's, it's, it's all part of that. And so I mastered that and then I perhaps move on to literature. And then once I master literature, then perhaps I'll learn to talk, uh, to talk about politics in Russian. And you kind of just, you build these little islands that you get really good and really comfortable and you just keep building them and eventually they grow. And it's, I just think that that's a really good way to get started. So for me, the first island that I always build is, um, who I am, why I'm learning the language, yeah. how long I've been learning the language, yeah. and because yeah. and have have you ever been to the country, right? Because uh-huh. those are the first things that someone's always going to ask you when they find out that you speak a language. Okay, right. So we've had one do and one don't. We we might struggle to each three, <laughs> but do you have any <laughs> any others which are kind of jumping out at you? Um. So another do would definitely be to start producing in the language right away. Producing is speaking and writing. Um, If you're just listening and reading, it's really good for getting exposure to the language, but to really make a language your own, you need to use it. Of course. Um, It requires a different, you know, a way of processing what's going on to produce and it does to consume both are equally important but i think if your ultimate goal is eventually to be able to speak a language you definitely need to make speaking a priority as early as possible um because speaking is more than just you know getting the words out that you're actually training your muscles to produce these new sounds yeah. in a language you're coordinating your throat your tongue your lips and everything to be able to do this thing that it wasn't able to do before and that takes practice it's the same as an instrument when you're learning to play piano you're training your fingers you know you're developing muscle memory and uh so you need to be able to do the same thing with your mouth to produce this language and the only way you're going to do that is by speaking right so so for example i think well with spanish it's, it's never a struggle to find speaking partners um, or that can be, but with with something like Croatian, how did you go and actually find someone to speak to? You you didn't just have these inner monologues with yourself, right, or in the mirror. <laughs> um, I do. If I do start that way, actually, okay. you actually I normally, did, right? well, not necessarily like inner monologues by myself. Um, there are a few things that I do. Uh, I'm introverted and a little bit shy, so for me, like going out and just talking to people, it can be really scary, so I kind of build myself up to it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when I'm driving, perhaps what I'll do is kind of narrate what I'm going to do that day, and then that's a really good way for me to find gaps in my vocabulary, um, because if I get stuck and can't say something, that's something that I obviously need to work on. Mm -hmm. I also will do um, videos on YouTube or Instagram, and then that way I can share them, I can prepare for them, I'm not actually trying to engage with someone else, and then I can still get feedback on how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of um, call and response style audio lessons, so something like Pimsleur or Michelle Thomas, uh, where you listen, it asks you to respond, so it, it gets you speaking the language. Yep. And then I do one-on-one lessons, so I'll find a tutor for a language rather than an exchange partner. I find that I get a lot of uh, value out of doing lessons as opposed to just straight up exchanges because you know i get all of the attention i um, have someone who's actually trained to correct me and explain things to me and uh, so that's what i do and And, that's you don't speak english either (laughs) yeah okay that's that's um that's great so any any kind of other big no-nos for people just starting out we talked about you know don't don't pick up a grammar book straight away or rather don't make that your primary focus is there anything else any other common mistakes which you see beginner learners making yeah, um, I would say that they don't take enough responsibility for their learning. Okay. Um, they pick up a resource and they pick up a tool and they expect that resource right. or tool to teach them a language. Definitely. But 
nothing can teach you a language. Only you can learn it. Yeah. You can use these tools and resources and teachers to uh, help you in that process to kind of guide you, but you can't expect them to do it for you. So if you think that you can pick up a course book and just kind of read through and kind of do the exercises and that that's going to be enough, it isn't. You need to be a little bit more proactive mm -hmm. in the learning process because otherwise you're just going to be frustrated and you're going to think that you don't have an ability to learn a language, but that's not actually true. You just need to take responsibility for your learning and then you'll be a lot more successful yeah, with definitely. it. I've I've kind of um, I've heard of people you know who've been through Duolingo, and they say well according to Duolingo I'm I'm 85% fluent or you know whatever stat it gives <laughs> you, and then they get, come into conversation and don't understand a single word. So of course you know I completely agree with that, and I see that all the time. So mm -hmm. in in taking kind of responsibility for your own language or your own language learning process and the outcomes, that means you've got to be pretty motivated right i mean that sounds like with you that there's there's no problem with that at all but do you have any advice for people about how to kind of stay motivated because i think as beginners people start motivated and then typically after you know a couple of months there's all the easy wins are there you know they've they've learned some simple vocabulary um they're kind of feeling pretty good but then motivation starts to wane how do you stay connected to that motivation over time so I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't particularly believe in motivation. Really? I believe in discipline. Okay. So for me, motivation is the reward for the discipline studies. So what I try to do is I try to set up a routine or a habit or, you know, something around language learning that I know it's going to get me doing it every single day, whether I want to or not, because mm -hmm. it may seem like I always want to, but I promise you there are times where I really don't want to <laughs> study. Um, but I've basically built it into my day so that there's really no question about whether I do it or not. Okay. So, um, a couple of examples would be, I, um, when I get in my car, I have my audio lessons queued up. So they automatically start playing the moment I turn my car on. So there's just no choice there, right? Because you're not supposed to touch your phone when you're driving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not legal. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, my playlist is already going. I can't change it once my car is moving. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I set up. So car time is absolutely study time. And because I commute and it's about an hour each way, you know, I'm, there's, I'm guaranteed to get two hours of language study in. You're locked in. Every you single can't, day. You can't escape right. language learning. Yeah. Exactly. Um, another thing that I do is I associate certain tasks with language learning. So, um, for example, if I'm making dinner, I'll open up one of my flashcard applications, Drops or Memorize, and while I'm waiting for something to cook in the oven or cook in the pan, I do that, you know, rather than finding some other busy work to do. And then before I go to bed, um, I read a bit in each of my languages to continue to get that exposure. Uh, so I basically, I build systems so that I reliably go and I do the work, whether I want to do the work or yeah. not. And then as that happens, because I'm continually making progress in my languages, every once in a while I'll have something happen uh, where I understand something that I definitely didn't understand before, or I'm able to do something in a language that I couldn't do before, or I just had a really amazing lesson with my tutor. And then after that, that's where the motivation comes oh, because right. that success, you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. This is why I'm doing it. And then you can ride that high out as long as it lasts. And when it fades, you know, you already have that discipline to fall back on when you don't have that motivation. So I don't, I don't count on motivation to keep me going in a language. Um, I do think that there are ways to create it, you know, um, 
again, like finding something that you really enjoy about it would be a great way to kind of re-engage that. Like, um, you know, you go to a dancing class, you learn salsa, and suddenly that gives you a new way to engage with the language, mm-hmm. and that can give you a yeah. little motivation boost. Yeah. But I don't think it's something that you should count on or try to create to continue to do your language study. I think you need to create a dis a language like discipline yourself to yeah. learn a language, and then enjoy the reward of motivation when it comes that's really interesting so discipline routine structure first and then as you naturally progress because of that that automatically provides your motivation which then kind of all feeds through so so we talked a little bit we kind of touched on speaking earlier obviously you mentioned it's a hugely important thing we should be doing straight away in production where do you stand on that i mean do you think literally from day one we we should be going out and looking for conversations and looking to practice and put into practice what we've learnt, or do you kind of recommend a period of maybe introspective learning first, kind of practicing in the mirror, or do you feel you know you should only speak when you're ready? So when I started doing this, you know, because as I said, I'm extremely introverted. Mm-hmm. I was completely on the side of input first and put speaking off as long as I possibly can because I don't really want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and um. Now, I and I, at one point I swung completely the other way, and I did try speaking from day one with uh, Mandarin, with Japanese, and with a couple of other languages. And for me, I think you know it is really effective. It that that is true because it gets you using the language right away, and that is really rewarding. Yeah. But for me personally, for my personality. I actually think I sit really well somewhere in between. So I now will maybe do one or two weeks of independent study, working on it on my own, getting acquainted with the language before I start really speaking to other people. This doesn't mean that I'm not speaking. I am still speaking the language, but more on my own, but conversing and engaging in the language. Mm -hmm. I'll wait a little bit longer um, just because I just think it, it suits my personality a little bit better. It makes me more comfortable and confident in the language. And I think confidence is something that's really important. One final question then, uh, kind of in, in regards to beginners or advice for beginners. Do you feel it's necessary or useful to set solid goals? So I don't know, you might, you might write down on the first day, okay, I'm studying this because in two months I'm going to go on holiday, I'm going to go into a shop or a bar, or I'm going to have a conversation with X. Is that is that useful for you? Do you think that's worth doing? Or should it just be, you know, I'm going to keep studying, I'm going to keep learning, and then we'll, we'll see where I end up? Absolutely. I think goals are really, really important. Okay. And I think that you should have two types of goals. I think that you should have, um, I'm going to steal this from Kirsten Cable of Fluent Language, um, path goals and vision goals. Okay. So your vision goals are like those big picture things, what you ultimately one day want to be able to do in a language. And then your path goals are like those smaller, more immediate, more measurables that get you there. So, for example, um, my goal with Korean is in a couple of years when I go to Korea um, to be able to get around just fine in Korean and to use English as little as possible. So in preparing for that. What is that going to look like? Yeah. Okay, so I imagine the different scenarios where I may need to use Korean. So I go out to, um, you know, the one of the markets to try out a bunch of different street foods. So I need to prepare myself to know what the different street foods I might want to try are, what some of the ones that I might not be familiar with are, some of the ingredients in case I want to ask about what's in them or what the sauces are, um, how to communicate about price, Mm -hmm. how to navigate that specific environment 
So one of my more immediate goals would be to prepare for that and then to go try it out locally somewhere. Maybe I'll find a Korean festival or a Korean street fair or even just a Korean restaurant. And I will go and I will try it and then I'll evaluate how I did and then readapt. So basically I create these immediately achievable and immediately measurable goals to get me to that ultimate big goal that you can't mm -hmm. really quantify yeah, necessarily. Yeah. And I think this is important for any level of language learner having both the short-term quantifiable goal and the longer-term vision goal. Do you have any uh, projects coming up? Is there anything you want to let us know about? Sure. Um, I will be speaking at Langfest Montreal okay. in August. Um, I'm going to be giving a talk on the Croatian language. Um, it's an introduction to the Croatian language and culture. So that's coming up. Um, I am also involved with the Add One Challenge, and we open up enrollments about once every three months, which is um, really exciting. I found it really good for my languages as far as, you know, you asked about speaking and building confidence and things like that. Um, I've done it four or five times now, and each time I've been able to get to that 15-minute conversation twice with new languages, and I just really enjoy the process. Um, and so that's what's coming up for me. Those are my current projects, and uh, yeah. Great. And, and, and where can people connect with you outside Eurolinguist.com? Um, anywhere on social media. I am Eurolinguist on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, but Eurolinguist SK on Twitter. Twitter. That's the only one that's a little bit different. Great. Well, thank you so much, Shannon. Uh, some fantastic advice, not just for beginners, I think, but really people at any stage of language learning. Yes, thank you. Thanks once again to Shannon. You can check her out on Eurolinguist.com. That's linguist with an E on the end. So linguist and no hyphen. In our next episode, I'm talking with fellow Londoner Ollie Richards from IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com. Ollie's another polyglot, so there's a definite theme going on here. And we talk about the role of memory in language learning and the skills involved in memorization. It's a great episode and I had a blast chatting with Ollie. Take care and I'll see you next time.